Welcome to the Energy Transition Podcast. I'm Ronan Kavner, Deputy Editor of EI New Energy. We turn our attention today to the pandemic crisis, which has upended daily life and business as nations focus on beating the virus, saving lives and livelihoods. At the same time, the oil price collapse also presents the industry with an existential crisis. While the sudden and uncertain recession we now face could challenge the progress of the energy transition, Here with me to explore some of these issues is Philippe Roos, Senior Reporter and Analyst with Energy Intelligence. Philippe, the pandemic recession and oil price collapse seem to have created a perfect storm for the industry. Could this weaken big oil's recent green resolve? Uh, Good afternoon, and that's a good question. And and European oil majors will certainly be torn between their, I think, genuine desire to advance their low-carbon strategies on the one hand, and uh, financial constraints uh, on the other end. However, as illustrated in recent statements from from, uh, BP and Total, for example, they may actually see green energy more than ever as as a new growth driver, as a lifeline from oil price volatility, and as a way to shield themselves from climate risk. But won't low carbon growth be more difficult to maintain under oil companies' own spending limitations and the constraints in the financial community? Well, the oil majors have traditionally tried to continue key investments through industry cycles. And the business case for investing in new areas today, including renewables, may well strengthen if oil and gas markets face a deep downturn followed by a weak rebound. Capital, I I don't think capital is an issue so far. Uh, because oil and gas companies uh, were really not investing a lot in green energy, not yet, uh, at least compared with their core business capex. So it wouldn't be too difficult to maintain this uh, this effort. Uh, plus, uh, green technologies such as solar and wind, including offshore wind, uh, are now quite mature. Uh, so it's quite safe to invest in them. And, uh, and I'm, I know, I'm not sure the the modest profitability of these technologies is still an issue given the impact low oil prices will have on oil and gas profitability. Uh, and I'm not mentioning here the risks and volatility of, of oil and gas markets compared to the limited risk uh, of renewable energy. Uh, a risk might be that investors see the extreme cyclical nature of uh, oil and gas investment and uh, opt to put their money elsewhere, uh, even if oil companies start to diversify in green energy, because at the end of the day, they'll still be oil and gas companies. Uh, but that's not new. It's It's been an issue for the past few years, and, uh, uh, and it will continue to be something to deal with for the industry. Now, looking at um, how some key areas of the energy transition will be affected, can you tell me what's the likely impact on, on renewables, for starters? Uh For renewable power, the impacts are generally seen as more marginal and temporary. Uh, There will certainly be a short-term stop to projects under construction or nearing construction, as as in any industry. I mean, there will be a stop in in basically everything. Uh, In Europe, for example, there are are certainly going to be delays in auctions, tenders, project deals and construction schedules. Uh, the impact of, rest, of the restricted movements of workers and materials will, will bite hard, obviously, in Spain, in Italy, and in, in other European and non-European countries. Uh, but again, this applies to the economy as a whole. 
and there's a lot of uh, elasticity in the renewable sector uh, and the impact from the virus won't be as pronounced as, as some fear, I believe. Many stakeholders, developers, governments uh, stress that it will be kind of green business as usual over a relatively short time frame once uh, restrictions are lifted. And speaking of business as usual, uh, what about the much anticipated rollout of electric vehicles? Was that going to suffer much? For now, car sales are collapsing uh, in any every virus hotspots, and that applies to conventional and uh, electric cars altogether. So it's at the moment it's very difficult to to, to see a difference because it's, it's bad for 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 everything. Uh, EVs might be hit a bit harder. Uh, because they are still expensive uh, and consumers are losing purchasing power and perhaps immediate desire to invest in uh, greener options. Uh, but I don't think there's any reason to believe that EVs won't resume their growth uh, later. Uh, closing the remaining price premium between conventional and electric cars will be the most, was and will still be the most important uh, for pushing EV penetration uh, above the single-digit penetration they, they have now in most markets. Uh, in Europe, car makers have invested massive amounts of money into EV production because of the stringent emissions regulation. And and they, they have the capacity, they need to produce the cars, and they need to sell those cars uh, almost at any price, I would say, meaning if they need to offer big discounts on EVs. I think they will be ready to offer big discounts on EVs because they, they need to sell them. Uh, my, my opinion is also that the virus crisis may, might indeed increase the pressure for stricter emissions regulation or internal combustion engine bans because those are driven, driven by climate, of course, but also by public health considerations, which are quite important now, to say the least. And, and it doesn't cost government any money, so it would be a easy way for governments to show that they 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 are still involved in in, in climate issues and you mentioned drivers of change i mean how could the pandemic crisis drive deeper changes in, in how people engage with and use transport well the pandemic has forced consumers to change attitudes towards daily com- commuting i mean they don't have choice they need to stay home uh, and experts wonder if one of the most powerful and permanent impacts uh, will be the greater acceptance of telecommuting by people and by companies, uh, which could substantially reduce fuel consumption, even if people on average decide to, to work from home one or two days per week. That's a lot of, that's a lot of, tele, of, of actual commuting, of car commuting that might disappear and, and therefore of oil consumption that might disappear. Uh, some people say that... Uh, the crisis may people may also be less willing to use public transit in a post coronavirus world uh, because of the fear of contamination. But I think it will be very temporary if uh, if it happens. And the same for shared mobility options such as car ride sharing. Uh, some for some time may opt for private cars to avoid uncertainty around cleanliness. But I don't think it would last. Now, I mean, air travel has been particularly hard hit by, by the pandemic and with more and more flights being grounded as countries try and suppress the outbreak. Will this be more than a temporary blip? Difficult to say. The, la- the last time airlines experienced uh, anything similar was after 9-11 uh, in 2001, the terrorist attack, and in 2008 uh, after the global financial crisis, uh, from which demand bounced back after several months. This time... 
recovery may be more difficult because you have the combination actually of the two types of crisis, the economic crisis like in 2008 and a non-economic uh, catastrophic event like in 2001, plus uh, the more, more pressing climate issues. Uh, airlines are now dealing with the economic shock and looming recession together with se severe operational restrictions uh, that could drag on for some time amid a growing perception also that the world won't return to normal quickly. Uh, restrictions on intercontinental travel, for example, could last longer than just a few months because of, of health uh, issues. Uh, and prolonged disruptions will deepen the insolvency crisis for airlines, and many may only survive with government support, which may, which may change the way, the way transport is operated. And the pandemic raises uh, deeper questions about the future of aviation. Some, uh, some demand may not return to the previous growth path, with, as, we, as I said before, more not tele telecommuting, but teleconferencing instead of business travel in the future, for example. This has been talked about for years without, without real changes in the real world, but it may be gaining real traction now uh, that it has become an, a necessity. Uh, efforts more generally to reduce unnecessary, tr unnecessary travel could also merge with the flight chain movement uh, and growing backlash against over, over mass tourism in many places, especially in Europe. Now, looking to the kind of policy context, we've seen the world firmly focusing on beating the virus and climate diplomacy is taking a bit of a backseat with COP26 now postponed. When leaders do reconvene, do you think the mood music will be any different from before? Well, yes, there's, there's clearly a danger that uh, multilateral efforts such as the UN climate negotiation process could suffer if the crisis fuel nas nationalistic, uh, everyone for, them, from, for themselves uh, mindsets with less cooperation between countries. Uh, but on the other end, the virus crisis might also make the idea of clubs of the willing, willing more powerful. Uh, we've seen that some countries, notably in Asia, have shown how effective local reply to a global crisis can be in the case of the, of the virus crisis. And I think more importantly that the virus crisis is giving more people a sense of urgency regarding climate. So I wouldn't be surprised, surprised that uh, some governments notably in Europe, but not only in Europe, could say, we know that the climate crisis is truly global and international cooperation is desired, but this might get so bad that we cannot wait for the UN and we'll, we'll reinforce our policies and we'll hope that we'll, it will give show example to other countries, but it's urgent, let's do it. That's possible. But couldn't climate concerns be outweighed by the desire to help economies recover from the crisis? Yes, it will be. A, it will take a huge effort to get the world back on its economic feet once the pandemic has been brought under control. Uh, there could be, there will probably be a, a, a significant increase in greenhouse gases emissions next year, as it happened in 2010 when emissions jumped by some five percent uh, after the 2008-9 crisis, which was largely due to the global recovery package packages designed to kickstart the world economy. Uh, but the, those packages could also offer a, a good opportunity to help build a sustainable energy future. Uh, I actually believe that m from a macroeconomic point of view, 
any surge in capex, not notably in infrastructure capex, is somehow green because the whole idea of the energy transition is we need to invest a lot of money in modern energy efficient, carbon efficient capital, and that will end up being economically better. Will end up being economically better off because we'll save more on fossil fuels than than we'll have to spend in new equipment. So. So I would say massive capex in, is in a way inherently green. Plus, it's also a good time uh, to reduce fossil fuel subsidies in a chronically low oil price environment. It's it's easier. Now, I mean, China has already started to kind of reopen post-virus. I mean, what kind of clues have we seen there to what might happen? Well, with the virus outbreak in China apparently under control, uh, the latest bus phrase there is resume work, resume production, and the worry, of course, is that in the in that in its effort to reboot the economy, uh, climate efforts and the low carbon transition might take a backseat under economic measures that uh, tilt towards incentivizing activity like construction or other heavy industries which, which are emissions intensive. Uh, and going by the measures already announced or implemented, a- economic rec- recovery seems to be China's uh, sh- seems to be top in China's agenda. Uh, but this is quite understandable. And once again, the issue is about where capital is to be invested. I mean, using and boosting existing capacity at the expense of higher emissions is one thing. I mean, you have a- heavy industries; you need to to to. Re- to have a recovering economy, so you're using your heavy industries, it makes sense. Uh, the question is deciding to where to invest the new capital is another issue, and I, and I think it remains to be seen to be seen what the Chinese are going to do uh, medium term about new investment. And the US too, I mean, we've seen a kind of huge stimulus package there. I mean, will that help or hinder the energy transition? Well, quite surprisingly, perhaps, the the U.S. seems to have taken an agnostic approach to energy while stimulating its economy, uh, which some experts have labeled as a lose-lose situation for both U.S. US energy security and climate action. Uh, Calls to extend production tax credits for wind and solar, for example, were left out of the stimulus package. But the oil sector was also disappointed that uh, industry supported measures to buy three billions worth of oil for the country's strategic petroleum reserve at, at very low prices were rejected as well. Uh, so it remains to be seen. But what can be said was there was no such disappointment for the airline sector, which uh, is being bailed out as part of the rescue deal. Uh and the government could take ownership stakes in some of the some of the airlines, and and that plan doesn't seem to require any strong emissions measures measures in exchange. But I mean, really, it's not that surprising with the current uh, stance of the U.S. administration on on climate and uh, and pollution. I mean, looking beyond the immediate crisis and to some of the deeper, perhaps more philosophical issues raised, I mean, could coronavirus prove to be a climate tipping point? It could. Uh, and it's paradoxical because uh, the virus has nothing to do with, with climate change, but it might actually accelerate the low carbon transition. Uh, as time passes, it has become increasingly clear that an orderly transition based on 
voluntary action, technology, free markets, and a hint of policy. It's, it's a fiction. And it has made many people wondering what could force the world to become more serious about climate change. And a big catastrophe would be, a, would be, a, would be one option. And the recent Australian wildfires were quite substantial uh, and could have been such a trigger, but nothing it's nothing compared with what the, the, the virus pandemic and the global economic crash are. So again, and it's not related to climate, but it, it comes, that crisis uh, comes with all the features of a future climate crisis, uh, except it is happening now and in fast motion. It's global. It ignores national borders. Uh, it also shows that science is to be believed. Uh, and I don't think it's hard to predict that from now on, denying climate change against scientific evidence, it will no longer work. Uh, using the un uncertainty on some of the consequences of global warming as an argument for inaction, inaction won't work either. I mean, after all, medicine is a more uncertain science than climate science. And I don't think anyone questions that coronavirus is bad and must be tackled. And perhaps more importantly, the virus crisis is showing that drastic policies can be centrally decided, quickly implemented, and well accepted, even in democratic uh, societies. And the sense of risk people across the world are currently acquiring, combined with the demonstration that such risk can be overcome with adequate policies, and regardless of costs, I think that's unlikely to be forgotten when climate climate back, maybe not now or, or, or maybe not this year or next year, but it will climb back on top of the agendas and, and people won't, won't forget that. And, and, and some people will say, yes, but societies have short memory. So 10 years from now, this, this, this will be forgotten or even five years from now. That may be true, but fortunately enough, if I may say, uh, the coronavirus pandemic is timely. Climatic action is required now and in the next few years, and and we won't have we won't have time to forget that lesson in 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 such a short time frame. Very interesting, and thank you, Philippe, for sharing those thoughts with us. And with us so in so many ways, still at the beginning or even the end of the beginning of the crisis, and with so many unknowns, it's very helpful to have those kind of insights. Um, more analysis and news of this can be found on our website www.energyintel.com. So until the next Energy Transition podcast, I'd like to say thank you and stay safe to all our listeners. Thank you. And yes, yeah, stay safe. Hey, goodbye and tune in next time to the Energy Transition podcast. Mm -hmm.